Hello, and welcome to an adventurous episode of the Drywall Podcast. With us today, Kevin Bush out of Three Forks, Montana. Kevin is an extremely accomplished member of the drywall community, having been the lead sales rep for No Coat. He's traveled the country talking drywall, selling products, and he may have landed a job selling words to Walls and Ceilings magazine. So I guess the guys from Walls and Ceilings are watching this. And after the show, they came up to Bill and I and said, you guys were awesome. It was funny. Yeah. And yeah. then they said, would you be interested in writing for us? And we said, hell no. I said, I barely graduated high school. I've got dyslexia. And they're like, if there was a way you could get on paper when there was actually still magazines in the world, yeah. what you guys did, that's what we're looking for in our magazine. Something that's about the industry, but some humor in it too. Kevin is very funny. He's very well-spoken and extremely knowledgeable. The Drywall Podcast is brought to you today by Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. If you have questions about Fresco Harmony, the podcast, or anything, you can contact me at info at frescoharmony.com. But for now... Join us as we travel all over the country on this episode, the 34th episode of the Drywall Podcast. Let's get into it. We have we have Kevin Bush, Adventures in Drywall, with us today on the Drywall Podcast. Remember that picture I sent of my niece wearing the grabber hoodie and her assistant next to her? I'm in yeah. one of Heidi's offices and her assistant, Aubrey, who have you picked? She's on. This is my first ever Zoom. So without their help, I wouldn't even be here. It's gravy. Aubrey. So we're going to give a shout out to Aubrey for the help with the Zoom. Aubrey and Heidi. And Heidi. Not to forget Heidi. And they are your niece. And Heidi is my niece, who's a big custom builder with her husband in Bozeman, Montana. Okay. Aubrey's her. Office assistant that does everything for her. Okay, she's a right hand man. And Aubrey, do you do do you do social media stuff and all that? I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Aubrey, so yeah. This is my girlfriend, Aubrey. She's a Aubrey. Sweetheart. Aubrey. You don't, you don't have to be embarrassed. We we can keep any of the any of the audio any of the video stuff. We can keep off, and all it'll be is Aubrey's uh, audio. Let me ask you one quick question. So last yeah. night I couldn't sleep and I'm scrolling through all these videos <laughs> and and one of the common threads is you start off with, so do you swear? I watched you with Drywall Shorty and Joe and they're like, can we swear? And you're like, yeah, we can swear. Okay, so I was going to start with a funny one. If you start with, a, well, we got to start with, do you swear? And my answer is <laughs> my whole life like a trucker. But on New Year's, I have a good friend out here whose wife and I made a New Year's deal where we're going to have a swear jar. Every time we drop an F-bomb, we put a dollar in. So it's my buddy's wife and I to have this bet going. So I said, they're going to hope we fail because we'll be taking them out for steak and lobster. If we succeed, we're going to McDonald's. So I'm going to try and not because every time I drop an F-bomb, another dollar goes in the Bridget jar. I don't know if that's funny or not. It's pretty funny. 
I hear you fine. Damn it. You got his hat on. I wish I had my lazy bee hat on. I brought hat. He goes, you got a haircut for this. Don't wear a hat. Now he's got a hat on. <laughs> and he, on hey, you know what's funny is I never wear a hat during these. And I this always is wear like... a hat. This is the first time. I'm serious. Okay, see this shirt? I have literally yeah. worn a Nebraska t-shirt every day of my life since I moved. And it's just such a conversation starter. I belong to the fire hall where I used to live, and they called me Nebraska. So okay. I literally, and I always wear a hat. So how cool is this that we get to All like, right. it's like we're talking, we're in the same room. Like, how cool is that? Okay, we're not on air yet. It's fucking cool. Oh, we're on air. Um, <laughs> Bridget didn't hear that one for the swear jar. Okay. Good. Welcome to the vault. So this is the old, this is my office. This is the old bank vault. And you are interviewing from Montana, what city? We live about 10 miles north of Three Forks, which would be between Bozeman and Butte. And we live in the middle of the country. I'm a country boy at heart. So okay. I'm happy to be back in the country. What city would you say you're from? The closest town I live in, it would be Three Forks. And it's one of those little Andy and Mayberry towns with like two blocks. And if you park on one side of the street and you walk across, the people actually stop and wave you over and not run you down like they do in Bozeman. Yeah, they do that here. Yeah. Um, so I met I met Kevin through Chris Bush, who had used Fresco Harmony product, or he requested a sample pack a long time ago, several years, whatever. Uh, and then recently he felt like he had been seeing me a lot on, uh, on different, uh, social media platforms. He reached out, he was on the phone and he's like, Oh, I got my dad, Kevin on the phone too. And you started to blab. And we got into this long conversation about, uh, your experience with walls and ceilings magazine grabber, uh, your history in the, in the trade. And so I was like, dude, we got to do an interview with you and talk about some of this stuff uh, because I think our listening audience would enjoy it. Let's start with, uh, we can go back into the history, but let's start with um, walls and ceilings. So uh, uh, John Wyatt reached out to you to do an article called Adventures in Drywall for Walls and Ceilings Magazine. How did that come to be? Well, it actually wasn't John Wyatt at that point. It was a gal named Sarah Mazur, who was the editor. Okay. And the I believe, owners of the magazine, son named Tag Henderson. And I'm sorry if I get the name wrong. Part of my gig with Grabber was to travel all over the country to do trade shows. So we did the uh, Florida Walls and Ceilings show at Sawgrass one year. And the folks from Walls and Ceilings were there. So okay. since I never considered myself to be a salesman, I was just a drywall finisher that, that Grabber hired to go out and teach guys to use NOCO because I was like one of the first guys on the East Coast to use it. Right. I actually built a demo booth and it had an out two outside corners, an inside corner, and we would do live demos all day long. We'd put, put corners on, code them, wow everybody, tear them off and do it again. How did you get that? Let's back up a little bit. How did you get that gig? Uh, it was interesting. So since I was one of the first guys to use it on the East Coast, um, found that in drywall especially, 
A lot of guys are hard-headed. If their dad smoked Marlboro Reds and drank Budweiser, that's what they did. Yeah. So when I was an owner, sole proprietor of a drywall business, I was the guy that physically did the punch list after a year. Okay? That was my Sundays when I did that. So when I heard there was a new corner out that wouldn't crack, and 80% of the stuff I was fixing after a year was drywall cracks in corner beams because people move in and run into them and you got that crack running up and down or they'd be dented and you'd have to cut it. You know, metal beads is a pain in the ass to fix. So I'm like, wow, if you don't have to do that, I'll give it a try. So I was doing a township building that had miles of soffits and the return on the top side went this high. And the original no coat was called ultra corner. And this shit was wide. So I said, I'm paying $30 a box for metal bead. This stuff's like $160 a box. But on this wow. job, it'll save me a ton of time. Because once it's installed, I didn't have to finish any of those top sides. The ceiling guys put their track up an inch. It was done. So I did it. And I really liked it. And the owner of No Code at the time's name was Tim Smythe. He visited the East Coast. He was living on the West Coast. And he came with one of the head guys from Grabber. And I guess they wanted to show him there was somebody actually using his product. So I was up on top of a scaffold, sanding all day. I looked like the abominable snowman with two eye slits. And right. these two sales guys walk on my job. And, you know, you're on the trades. When sales guys show up, you're like, just get off the job, right? So they We don't got time. We don't got time. We ain't buying these what guys, you're selling. <laughs> these guys realized, and they wanted to talk to me. So they said, okay, we'll come back. How long will it take you to finish this job? And I always brought a change of clothes with me because I had nice trucks and I didn't want to destroy them with dust. I oh, said, okay. three, give me three hours, I'll clean up. And we met at a bar down the road. And it was one of those five-hour meetings over a bunch of gin and tonics. And I found out later that the owner of No Coach told the guy from Grabber, you're hiring this guy. Been traveling the country for a year now. And I've been looking for somebody that not only knows how to finish, but can actually say two words without saying, you know what? Yeah. So I guess I fit the bill. They offered me a job and I said, no, thanks. I'd never had a job in my life. I was always self-employed. Uh, okay. So they kept hounding me. So it came down to the guy from Grabber called me and said, well, if you won't come work for us, can we hire you as like a trainer? Say we get a big job and we'll call you up and say, can you fly here for a couple of days and train guys? And he says, we'll pay it per diem and whatever your travel costs were. And I talked to my mom, my dad, my wife, and they're like, ah, maybe it'll be fun if you do it once and see if you like it. So I said, yeah, I can do that. So literally the next day, this guy calls me and says, can you be in Boston tomorrow? Oh, right. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, they're building a big hotel by the airport. Well, have you ever heard of the big dig? That was going on in Boston. Okay. I drove around for four hours at one of those you can't get there from here type situations. I could see the hotel, but I couldn't get to it. So I spent a couple Boston's days Boston's a nice walking town. It is difficult right. to drive around in, though. Yeah. Right. So I ended up spending a couple days up there. Went well. Went home. Next week, he calls me up and said, can you be down to Phoenix tomorrow? And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, they're building, was it? No, Nashville, Titan Stadium. He goes, we set up a race. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, they're doing all these skyboxes. And we're talking to this big national contractor about no coat, that it's faster, takes less mud. And he says, 
they're going to have two side-by-side skyboxes, and they're going to put one of their guys in one with metal bead. The, 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 the test was hang the bead and finish it, one coat. Okay. And so they said, okay. you're going to race it with no coat. I said, okay. So I ended up beating the guy. So you got to realize back then with no coat, you could install it, get some thick mud to wipe it, it's installed and coded. In let's one shot. let's talk about a little bit for you know for the layman. Uh, what is the difference? So you've got metal quarter bead that's self-explanatory. You put it on with nails or screws. It if not if, always. if not always if There's if the uh, they're using clench on sometimes and they basically use a clenching tool. Okay. And those things you can take your thumbnail and pull them off the wall. It's ridiculous. Oh, they, you know what they use? They use clinch on when I was in the union up. They clinched it, but then I think they nailed it too or something. It doesn't seem like good system. Guys don't put any fasteners in it. They just clench it and run. Uh, okay. It's piece Be- Well, and the mud will hold it somewhat. Not if you're coating it with two coats of plus three. Okay, so so I've I've got a couple questions. Was was Trimtex out at that time? Was No Coat competing against Trimtex? No, and I used a lot of Trimtex products, and uh, I did a development of houses that were semi customs. And one of the selling points is there were four curved archway that would go up square, come in, and then curve, and they were a pain in the ass to do because the framers didn't do a good job. So. Grimtex made a product, I guess they still, I think it was called Archway Fast Cap. Okay. So it was yeah. the whole piece with a return. Yeah. So you could install it, do the edges, and the middle you didn't have to paint. Yep. And the beautiful part on the top of the framers didn't frame it perfectly. And we'd coat the whole back of that, push it up into place as tight as we could, and then let off. And that Archway Fast Cap would find a perfect arch. There wouldn't be any kinks. So okay. I used that stuff for years. Okay. Okay. But and no, but is no coat the similar? So I don't really think there was any competing products. No coat, you know, funny story. The drywall yard, it was called Ultraflex. It came in a great big blue box. And the drywall yard that I bought from had a box on the counter for months. And one day I said, Hey, what's this stuff on the on the on the shelf? And they said, oh, it's it's like straight flux, but it's way more expensive. Well, as an early adopter, I'm looking at that going, huh, it was like this wide. And I was doing some houses that had bay windows. And if you've ever done a house with bay windows, you got windows coming right up to that inside corner. And it's framed right up. And even if it's more expensive, if I just used it in these tray windows, I wouldn't have to coat them. Just the tops and the bottoms. So yep. I bought that years before, I think they, they came out with sticks a long time later. So when the sticks came out, another another funny salesman story for you. The salesman shows up on my job with like tassel loafers, freshly polished, khaki pants, blue, you know, collar golfing shirt. He's carrying his wife's beach bag with her big initials emblazoned with a plastic pan, plastic knife. A Beautiful. pair of scissors, one stick of corner, <laughs> and a one-gallon bucket of USG green lid. And he's going to come show me how much he can change my life. Yeah. So we all just sat back, crossed our arms, and we watched him struggle for like 20 minutes. And he was full of mud, and he wasn't giving up, right? I finally said, get the off the bucket. Let me do it. It's uh-huh. the exact same thing I've been using on inside corners and outside corners. It's in a lock stick. 
I put it on. I said, was that what you've been trying to do? So I bought it in spite of that guy, not because of him, because he was an idiot. Okay. All right. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Kevin is an expert in his field. That's been established. Uh, so no coat was owned by Grabber? No. No coat was its own company. Okay. At the point they hired me, Grabber was the master distributor, which meant if you were going to buy no coat, it was sold to a drywall yard by Grabber because we already had trucks going there with fasteners, screws. Grabber Tools. manufactures their screws right, and they right. distribute them. So we already okay. had the distribution network. We, I don't work, I haven't worked there since 2015, but Grabber had that distribution network set up. Okay, so Grabber, Grabber probably had a stake or some type of interest in no coat. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but okay. that's probably a that's probably a safe bet. Okay. So so grabber, no coat, whatever. You end up as as would you say the lead salesperson for no coat? That was the only salesperson for no coat. Okay, for so probably two years. I was on a plane three weeks a, a year. And what what year is this? What what timeline are we talking? Okay, I've got number dyslexia, so bear with me. Probably that's okay. Well, you're gonna have to go backwards. I was in my crash in 2015, and that was my 17th year with Grabber. So okay, you do the math. okay, so 2015, 17th year. You're like 98. Yeah, late 98, 90s. late 90s. Um, so oh, okay. Also, for reference, Kevin had a bad car crash, which we can talk about later. We don't have to talk about that right now, but it's it's caused you a little bit of uh, fogginess, I guess, or like just some, some some when you're remembering things, it's kind of difficult. I, I had a bad, yeah, I had a bad concussion. So I have like memory loss issues. Okay, all right. And, and we'll, so we'll get back to that. I just, I, yeah, we okay. just want the listening audience. So that's what that's about. We'll get back to that. But so you go to NoCo, obviously is having, I guess back then, were they doing Intex? Was that a show back then where, where you showcase your wares to the, the I country? I went to everything from LMC live shows to okay. home shows to walls and ceiling i mean we did all the shows back then we were at every show okay you know all about the shows and that's where someone from walls and ceilings uh sort of maybe maybe uh start recognized your character and was like oh this guy's great he needs to write an article for walls and ceilings how did that how did that come to be well, I was always nauseated by trade shows because you have a bunch of construction guys showing up and and 80% of the booths had guys standing there with the same penny loafers in the $300 shiny suit and they would sit there like this as you walk by. Yeah. And it was almost <laughs> like they were daring you to talk to them. So I took it the exact opposite way. Bill <laughs> Scanline for the first three years had so much fun. I would yeah. dare people to walk past our booth. And if they you did, have to, you have to. Aisle, I would grab them by the arm and say, get yeah. back here, you got to see this. So I guess the guys from Walls and Sillings are watching this. And after the show, they came up to Bill and I and said, you guys were awesome. It was funny. Yeah. And yeah. then they said, would you be interested in writing for us? And we said, hell no. I said, I barely graduated high school. I've got dyslexia. And they're like, if there was a way you could get on paper when there was actually still magazines in the world, yeah. what you guys did. That's what we're looking for in our magazine, something that's about the industry, 
put some humor in it too. So about Bill and I both said, no, we didn't have time. We were busy. About three or four months later, we were doing a, a trade show in Western Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere. And we're sitting at a bar in the hotel. And it was, do you remember when Tiger Woods had the face off with Phil Mickelson? That's what year it was. They were playing like stroke play. It was exciting. We're watching this, drinking some beers. <laughs> and I said to him, you know what? Get out your laptop. Let's put something together that's so far over the top that they're going to say, these guys are idiots and they'll leave us alone. So we literally sat at the bar with half a bag on and wrote the first article. And we sent it that night, emailed it to the editor of Walls and Ceilings. Okay. The next day we got a call and they said, we're all on the floor rolling around laughing. Oh my God. I do it every month. And we're like, shit, what did we just do? Who was it that you wrote that article with? Bill Scannell, who was sort of like my contemporary. He was working for No Code. But we were both doing trade shows, job site visits, trainings. We were kind of the same guy. He's just a hell of a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> so he was the smart guy, but he knew I knew how to read a job site because I was on it. So one day I saved his life in Providence, New uh, Rhode Island. They were building that great big, huge mall. And we didn't know it, but the guy had said, we don't want any sales guys on this job. So we show up to show him no code. And this guy was ready to punch us. So I let him go off on Bill for a while. And he kind of looked at me scared. And so I just walked up to him, contractor to contractor. And I said, look, I understand. I've been doing your job for 20 years. Get it. We're out of here. I apologize. But trust me, I wouldn't have come here if I didn't have something really cool to show you. I think I'd save you some yep. time. Let me know when we can come back. I'm sorry. Yep. And that kind of set him back. And he goes, well, you're here now. Go ahead. Yeah. So it had this really kind of cool good cop, bad cop thing between me and Bill yeah. that worked really yeah. well for years. Yeah, you yeah, I could see that. You're like, you know, that's why they have two announcers at football games or whatever. Right. You got the cut you got the color man, and then you've got the guy, you know, doing the, the logistics and all of that. I don't even um, think I'm relevant anymore since two thousand yeah, five. I know. We're gonna resurrect we're All gonna right. resur we're gonna resurrect these adventures in drywall uh, as 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 uh, as you and the the folks over at Walls and Ceilings have have coined. Um, pretty funny, yeah. As 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 if there are adventures in drywall, but I guess there are. You know, I mean, it's 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 interesting and and funny enough. I was the last interview I did uh, Tuesday, but I just interviewed for you and me. I interviewed uh, Sean Murray out of Florida on Tuesday and he reads adventures in drywall. He reads, no he's way. and no. And I call, and he's, he calls himself the drywall nerd because he knows all about this stuff and he knows about adventures in drywall. He knows about right. the plot. He knew about the plaster guy. And those, Did you tell he, him how I busted his balls kind of online, but no, self-promotional guy and I, was I need you know what i need to i need to go back and read all of the articles and then i what would be really funny is if i interviewed him if i could get I him i don't an even interview. think he's still around because he was in it to he was going to offer these training courses for like you know thousands of dollars come they're, learn to plaster and i'm like dude they're still offering the training courses kevin okay they're still offering them right. and they're still, they're still like $1,500 and you got to buy your way down there and you got to find a place to stay. And it seems ridiculous to me here. Here's a, here's a pitch for you from a sales standpoint. I want you, I want you to use Fresco Harmony. 
because I made this product and I think it's really great. But here's the sure. kicker. Here's the kicker. I'm going to charge you a hundred bucks a bucket. I'm going right. to I'm going to I'm going to charge you a thousand dollars to come down. <laughs> to come down here and, and take a class take a class i want to charge you a thousand bucks so you can come down here take my class and find out you got to find your own place to stay i want you to come down here take my class and then after that i'm going to sell you my product but how does that sound uh can can i just hey, hey aubrey which button do i do to disconnect this i don't like this guy anymore <laughs> It's only a thousand bucks. Hey, you know what? Maybe the guy's a millionaire now, and he and and I'm just living in a the middle of a, a field in Montana. So I don't know. Maybe it worked for him. I don't know. Who knows? And so so here's my my things. Like, well, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't want to charge anybody to come down here. How about this? I've got Fresco Harmony jobs going down here. How about Chris comes down here? He works for me for free. I show him everything he needs to know. For about a week, I get a week of work out of him, and then I just send him back. Okay, <laughs> works for me. Uh, I got you. Uh, you got me. So, like, uh, so me, what the way I do it, and I'm I'm having fun, but like the way I do it is like I'll send you a free sample pack. Like the product needs to sell itself. You right. you know, if you guys don't like it, you're not going to use it. Period. And it's the same. It's a grabber. You have no idea how much free stuff I gave away. I'd right. say, Hey, I'll give it to you. I'll come out. Yeah. I'll help you do your first house yep. because yep. it's a long-term deal. Would you rather sell a toilet paper holder or toilet paper? That's how I viewed it. My free product to him is a toilet paper holder. He's going to buy toilet paper for me for the rest of his life. Sell a consumable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like like in the beginning, I was trying to keep this really secret patents. I lost a money, a bunch of money messing around with patent attorneys and bullshit. And like, you know, you know, the reality, you can't give this shit away. <laughs> Chris has got a sample. Chris has got a color pack sitting in his truck from three years ago. <laughs> like he don't it's give a shit. Truck. It's in my garage right now. <laughs> I don't know He's, if you know this or not. You're freezing it. Um, <laughs> um, we're putting in a big addition on our house and it's going to have some fresco harmony and Chris already bought it. So it's going to be going in in probably a month in our new place. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and you guys are buying it and it's cool. And I want all that feedback and stuff. I told you I would interview Chris and Heath when, and after you know, they I'll use honest, if I sure, think it's shit, sure. I'm going to tell you it's shit. So, uh, so Kevin, okay. so you are, do you like the, the, do you, would you say that these shows that you go to, they're valuable? Grabber got a 40 by 40 booth and in my pole barn in Pennsylvania built 40 by 40, three section. The one section was for decking to show, showcase their super drive tools with screws. The middle section was no coat with art and stuff. And the next one was, I think for deck master, which was the first hidden deck fastener that was out. So I built all this stuff in my pole bar truck to philadelphia wait for the union laborers to unload it because we still had to button it up and put it together we were there all night setting this thing up and i think it was a four-day show and you get a bunch of looky-loos walking through once in a while you'd find somebody decent that you might actually make money on but i always thought it was a waste of time and money 
But I guess people that are way smarter than me and make a lot more money figured it was worth well, it. Well, I mean, so I'm talking about for like Fresco Harmony, I'm considering a booth at like Intex in Las Vegas. I feel like for my product and because it's new, like it might do really well at one of these shows, but I don't know. You're only on the floor for eight hours. Would you be able to have some sort of a wall set up with drywall where you could demo it live? If you're yeah. standing there with a product that's up, say don't waste yeah. your time. If no, you can I actually do a hand. Every yeah. every show we did, the entire show, one of us was putting corners on and ripping them off. We weren't standing okay. there. By the end of the show, we were covered in mud. Okay. Cool. Cool. So and you could do it that way where you're doing a live demo and showing people and then have another piece of board you can put up and do another one and maybe do 10 or 20 a day. I think you could. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so let's go to the walls and ceilings. Um, you get asked to do a column and, and it's called Inven adventures in drywall. Who came up with that name? I honestly don't remember. I think it was Bill and I, and it was basically loosely based on the adventures we were having. You got to realize we were sometimes spending seven to 10 days together, traveling in a car through five or six States doing a lot of windshield time. And he and I would just crack each other up all day long because we're bored. So you guys so were, you guys were saying you were, buds. you were having an adventure, you know? <laughs> So I think we did. I think we did, but maybe if somebody at the magazine can correct me, I don't really I think we did. Okay. And how many how many of these adventures in drywall articles are there out there? Do you know? Well, I don't know if they're all online. I think they are archived. I know Bill and I did it together for maybe three or four years. And then he got way more responsibility. I think he ended up becoming the CEO of Structus, which was what NoCoat turned into, and he didn't have time to do it anymore. So I actually thought about quitting doing it because I really enjoyed it. was a collaborative effort for the few first few years. I'd write something and send it to him, and he'd put his two cents in and send it back, and it was kind of fun. And when he decided he didn't want to do it anymore, I really thought about bagging it. And the, the magazine contacted me and said, you got to realize at that point, with a magazine you open and guys would fill out cards, they said, you are the number one read article in the magazine. We actually, one of the articles we wrote, and I won't talk about it now because we got heat off of it. We wrote an article. Whoa, that whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what I want to hear, buddy. I want to hear the dirt. All right. So there was a period of time. <laughs> I don't know what it was like in the rest of the country, but when it was really busy, the drywall plants were turning out drywall so fast and we were getting bored sometimes delivered to jobs that was still steaming. The center of the stack was still hot. Now, you know, you got to have real crisp, tight board to cut clean. So we were getting some board that was horrible. And as we would travel, every job site we go to, we'd hear these guys going, what's going on with the board? We're, we're taping our butt joints and they're bubbling and we're peeling it back and the butt joints are peeling so we wrote an article said, where has all the good drywall gone? Now, Beautiful. we were stupid. Okay? We were dumb. We didn't realize. And I guess it got a lot of heat from all the gypsum companies. And I think we almost got sued. 
But uh, wait, let me stop you. Right, let me stop you. Isn't that Walls and Ceilings magazine to report industry news? And you know what? They're still they're still complaining about the drywall. It's gotten worse. Like here's something I'll give a big heads up to. Of all the drywall board manufacturers that were out back then, USG, National, Certain, the only guy that called me was Rob Waterhouse, who was the CEO of USG at the time. And okay. he said to me, can we talk? I'm like, sure. And he goes, I got to tell you something. That article you wrote really upset me. And I'm like, I bet it see that? Hard. Hey, see that? See that van outside your house right now? There's a gun pointed at your head. <laughs> Right. But he said, dude, I've never met him face to face, but we had this conversation. He said, but I took it to heart. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're hearing because I'm not on these job sites. So I told him everything I'd heard, all the complaints. And he said, although I didn't like that article and it made us all look bad, I needed to hear that. We need to make some changes. So of all the major gypsum companies, Rob Waterhouse, and I hope I got the name right. You might have to fact check it. It was okay. Rob something, and he was CEO of uh, USG at the time. So, yeah. But I think the only thing that saved us, Sarah, who was the editor at the time, said we never had a greater fax in, write in, email in from every writer saying, thank God somebody told the truth finally. First time in history. And if you fire these guys, we'll stop reading you. I don't know if that meant anything, but she said the feedback she said was number one red article we've ever had. So I okay. think I hit a nerve, or we hit a nerve. Nice. Bill and I wrote that one together. Well, so so I mean, you know, the drywall podcast is sort of it's gaining in popularity because I because I feel like I'm a good interviewer and I want to hear about industry news from people like you. You know, there is an issue with this has been an issue on threads on social media. People talk about the drywall not being good, the quality, quality's gone downhill, like this sort of thing. Stop me if I'm wrong. These guys need to hear this feedback. And I would take it one step further. They should be out looking for this feedback and trying to figure out how they can make the products better. If somebody came to me and told me, hey, Nick, your color doesn't work. It's not, I don't like the way, I would wanna know. I would wanna know why. I, I'm smaller. I get it. Like sheetrock, mud. These companies are billion-dollar business, but still, still, like you, you got to put your stamp on it, right? It, it, I mean, that's true. But you got to, you got to be fair in this too. These guys can't talk. They can't talk to anybody. You know. I get that, but to be devil's advocate for a minute, sure. You know, my whole family's in construction, and whether it's windows, trim, LVO beams. My niece did, ordered a special um, plate glass shower and it was like tens of thousands of dollars and she gave them exact measurements and it's the last thing to go in the house before it goes to settlement. And they said the damn piece is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so she's scrambling now. What do I do? So I don't think it's just a drive. I think it's no. industry in general. Yeah. There's no quality. The old days, your phone quit working. You'd call up and say, my phone doesn't work. That afternoon, there'd be a phone guy at your house. I dare you to get anybody from tech support from any company. Talk to a person. I dare you. 
Well, also, no, that's a good, that's a good point. And it's also, I think why Fresco Harmony has had success. Cause it's kind of just me. We're able to manufacture right. the product. I'm able to talk to Chris on the phone for an hour. Um, make sure he ha is having a good experience with the product. I think that's important. But, but, I, businesses but. are doing that though. Maybe not in construction, but there are businesses doing that. Let me, let me be devil's advocate one more time. This is what I'm famous for. Okay, you're starting out at you. Let's say this this takes off and it becomes a five to $10 million company. Right. And you've got 20 right. employees. Right. You're not going to be the same guy you are right now. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of natural progress. The bigger you get, more money, more problems. Yeah. You're not going to have the control you have right now as a sole guy controlling yeah. everything. So don't yeah. be too cocky, man. It might bite you in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And it is nice though. But, but to my defense, um, I am fielding those calls and my ego isn't so inflated that I'm too important, you know, to talk to somebody on the phone. You know, I, I, I do like talking to drywall professionals, hence the, the drywall podcast, you know, um, I hope it doesn't get like that. I think if I got more popular, I feel like in this space, it would be extremely important to have, a really good customer relation team that yes. that I that I managed that could come to me with questions. I would figure that out. I know, and I talked with uh, uh, Aaron and Aaron and Elliot with Columbia Tools. We talk about that a little bit. You know, they're bigger. You know, they're they're on another level than me. You know, but they they were at at, at my level at one point. You know, every every company has a cycle that they, uh, you know, that they grow a growth cycle. Um, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Um, but these oh, guys, you know, those guys, here's a funny story. True story about, about this guy. I okay. ran tape tech tools my entire career. Once the pat ran out, you could buy them or bought a set because I wasn't going to pay 300 bucks a month to rental to Ames anymore. So right. I ran tape tech tools. In well, real quick, real, real quick, we uh, we talk about the history of Columbia Tools and their dad tooling yeah. the original Columbia Tools in, right. in, in the back of a drywall supply yard. Right. Um, and when that whole thing happened, a lot of companies were coming online. You decided, why did you decide to use Tape Tech? Because they were the first one out and it was the exact same tool I've been running. Same for tool. I was renting. Okay. But here's the funny part. You got to tell the guys at Columbia. The first generation was this real beautiful maroonish color. And I had just bought a brand new GMC diesel pickup that same color. And I told my wife, I'm going to buy one of those tubes just because it matches my pickup. I didn't realize it had like five major improvements to it that I didn't even care about. I bought it because it was a cool color and it matched my truck. I think they might get a kick out of that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, the, and if you get a chance... Please listen to the, it's a two part. It's one of the only two. It's the only two part uh, podcast so far um, because there's so much there. You know, they go clear back to when their dad was starting. You know, the company um, and they're very running. Cool. It is very cool, and we talk about Ames, and they're they're really nice guys. And I mean, they're they talk about you know the other companies, and you know there's that friendly competition. Uh, we talk about Premier and Tape Tech and and all these different companies, Ames, and uh, it's cool. It's cool. You know, they they're candid, and but we do talk about quality service 
and how they manage that a little bit with their company because they're still to this day training hand finishers and trying to convince hand finishers to use the tools. You know, like these old dinosaurs that are like, they'll never change. That was me. So, okay. So I started out when I was about 15 finishing drywall in the brass. And you're you're in your 60s, correct? I'm 62. Okay, you look fantastic, so, by the way. You uh, really do. You're a great liar. Thank you. So my brother and my brother-in-law were a lot older than me. So when I would go on the job, summer vacation, I'd get all the shit jobs, right? Okay. And they knew how to do everything except drywall. So one of my buddies in high school, dad, his dad was in his 60s. He was an old school, hard school taper. And he, he used a banjo and a hawk and trowel. So... One day he said, hey, we got this big house. Can you come wipe tape behind me? And I'd never wipe tape. So as as you've talked to other people, I could tell within about 10 minutes if somebody can finish drywall or not just by the yeah. way they hold the knife in their hand. Yeah. It was always natural to me, okay? And so <clears throat> I said in my mind, if I can learn how to do drywall, that's something I can do better than my brother-in-law and my brother. Nice. So that's why I pursued it. Fast forward a couple of years, I go into business with my brother-in-law and I learned a lot of other things, but every time it came to drywall, I was the guy doing the drywall. I went to work for a, or a guy called me up and said, hey, I, I heard you can finish. Do you know how to run the tools? I said, oh, yeah. He goes, what tools do you Oh, he said, how many rolls can you run out of a tube a day? I said, what's a tube? <laughs> he goes, you said you run the tools. I said, yeah, I run a banjo and a pan and knife. And he looked at me like I was from, you know, outer space. He goes, have you grown up under a rock? I said, no, Western Nebraska. <laughs> So he said to me, I'm going to put this in your hand. He said, I'm going to show you how to do it once. Uh, said, and then you're going to learn on your own. And within three months, I had three guys wiping behind me. I was this tape. All I did was run a tube for four years and have guys wipe behind me. Let me so, ask yeah, you I this. Let me ask you this. How many times did you throw the tube down in hatred, in pure hatred? Um. Well, I knew if I broke it, I'd have to pay for it because it wasn't mine. <laughs> The real question, is right? Now, you right? can't throw them down too hard because you saw you stop to the use word, them. The word I'm trying not to say for New Year's resolution, okay? Oh, okay, how many all right. Times so, did I say that word. Yeah, it was Th thousands, thousands, thousands. Yeah, I remember, and I've told this story before on the podcast. But like, I was they weren't my tools. I was in the union, and these journeyman guys. Here's how here's how nice they were. They they would give you the bazooka, send you up on the scaffold to like go around the pipes. <laughs> you know like yeah, i'm like trying to rip off pieces of tape and put them around pipes and all these like little mini pieces you know they don't give you nice flat walls to learn right. on and right. uh, i remember one time i took that bazooka and i threw it off three-story scaffold all the way to the ground i just huffed it and uh luckily it still worked after that <laughs> no I, I actually worked <laughs> i actually worked with a guy for eight years when I was in Pennsylvania, we were sort of partners. He had his builders, I had mine, and we team up with our helpers and we could bang out a lot of work together. And he was about five or six years older than me. And I saw him get so mad on top of three sections of scale yeah. when he did that. And yep. it was ruined. And I said, do you feel better? I hope so, because it just cost you 1500 bucks. He was like, yep, give me my banjo. Let's go back to work. Right. 
<laughs> um yeah and then uh yeah i mean but i also talked to aaron and elliot about uh you know the value in because when when i was in arizona i really learned how to run the bazooka and they gave me the crappy you know i was at the bottom of the food chain they gave me the crappiest tools mm -hmm. and there's value in learning how to run crappy tools because you have to yep. fix them you got to, you learn, you get really efficient with fixing them. I honestly, I think you should probably learn how to run crappy tools before you get a new set, probably. you know, like to I all these to guys wanting to learn, like go buy yourself a used set and learn on that used set. Cause you'll, cause th that used set will have its own little nuances that you have to, you have to figure out and then go get yourself a, a nice tape tech or a predator and, it'll be like running a Cadillac and you'll keep it clean and you'll know how to not, not screw up the blades and things like that. Let me ask you a question. Did you have the tackle box you carry around that had 50 trays in it with all the parts you needed and you could field strip it and fix it on the site? They had, they had some parts in the truck. Like, so the company would provide the tools and they gave me the crappy like Toyota two wheel drive, like right. with a rack on it. You know, and I, I I would go to the shop, drop off my truck and grab the company car and I would drive to wherever, what job they wanted me on. And they load up the truck with whatever I needed. Okay. And uh, um, they there was some parts in there, but, uh, you know, you just you make do, especially if you're working piece rate. Piece rate is another yeah. great you get fast like because that's your money those are dollars flying out the door yeah. when you when you take 15 minutes to fix a tool back back in the day when they had the inch and three eight sharp point drywall nails that had adhesive on them and they had a real thin uh, tank, uh -uh. they were almost the exact same diameter of an advanced pin on a tube so we used to take a tin snips if we didn't have another a pin with us we cut the head off and sand it down and put it in there and get it through <laughs> the day that's funny. Um, no. True story. Did it more than once. No. I mean, it, most of the time, honestly, you just wrestle through it. And then I'd bitch. And, you know, at back at the shop, they give me another another bazooka and they'd take it and they'd fix that one for me. You know, they were kind of like that, you know. But uh, let's talk about. So post, uh, post no coat, post. Uh, walls and ceilings, you guys, you guys, that, that, uh, adventures and drywall ran itself out come 2015 or 2017. You're still working. I assume you get in this bad car accident. What happened? I was actually making a delivery to a customer and you're going to laugh what the delivery was. It was a really good customer. So they had one of their customers doing a bull nose job and they needed that bottom transition piece that goes from three quarter bull. So that goes to 90 degrees so you can run your, your baseboards over it. And they needed it Saturday. So I drove to the branch that was in New Jersey, picked up three boxes of transition pieces that were this big to drive them to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I was 10 miles from their yard when some guy decided he wanted to drive into me instead of the road. And I ended up with a concussion. I've had back surgeries. I'm in constant pain. So yeah, it changed my life hasn't been fun but here we are having fun today yeah uh not much to say there but that did that did dramatically uh sort of steer you i guess you probably don't you're not on the wall as much maybe as you would be if you hadn't gotten that accident 
I would still be working. I'm only 62. I had no plans of retiring. I'd still be working for Grabber. If this yeah. Happen. Yeah. And you were saying your family's pretty hardy. Like your, your, your grandfather, your grandfather, your dad lived to 96. My dad worked full time until he was 83. My mom wanted him to stay home a little more. So he went back to four days a week till he was 87. And he told everybody he was partially retired. So he worked four days a week till he was 87. He lived till 96. And he worked every single day of his life. I believe that the work ethic my entire family came, came from was my father who just went to work every day. I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe and his work ethic. That was my father. And he told me growing up, yeah. So if whatever you choose to do in life, do it to the best of your ability, you'll succeed. And you'll see it at McDonald's. Some kid will go to work, work at McDonald's on yep. a fryer. And 15 years later, if he was a hustler, yeah. he's a manager. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you're, the, if you're not just showing up for a paycheck and phoning it in, it doesn't matter what you do. If you enjoy it and you do it to your best of your ability, you're going to yeah. succeed. Yeah. And that whole thing's been lost. I look around now at all the kids sitting in their parents' house complaining. And I'm like, yeah. just go to work. In the valley I'm living in right now, there are literally <laughs> banners in front of every business. And I don't think any any job started at less than 25 an hour. And they can't find workers. And I'm just going, now, see, interesting deal here because it's growing so fast. Housing's expensive. So I get that part. But I think even if the housing was 100 bucks a month, those people still wouldn't be going to work. There's this entitlement attitude a lot of this generation has that I deserve this. You don't deserve shit. If you don't work, you don't deserve anything. That's how I was raised. Yeah, what's funny about that is that my my grandfather said the same thing about doing being the best. If you're the best at something, you can make money at it. You know, it doesn't matter right. what it is. Sort of pick something and and right. You know, I I I didn't mind drywall. I picked the mud because I liked it. Um, the color was weird. I wanted to do art, you know, and, and I got some flack because I would go, I was like, I'm going to do this no matter what. This was like 18 years ago. I'm going to do colored mud walls and I don't give a shit what anybody says. And I had to borrow money from mom and I had to, in time, in th there were lean times when I had to push through. Um, I stuck with it. Just, I think that's more the entrepreneurial spirit too, but like, uh, you know, tenacity. Um, but that work ethic, ethic that you're talking about, that's what carries you through. I always knew I could drop back and do a drywall patch. I could go tape out a house. I could go get a job with a company anytime I wanted to, you know, and I knew how to work. Um, I was just like, well, I'd rather make you know, $2,000 on the next Fresco Harmony job, then, you know, here in Albuquerque, they ain't paying shit. You know, I mean, price of living's way less here. But yeah, it's a, it's, that's kind of a thing. I think just at the very least, it's important to learn how to work. You know, we were watching, we were watching Yellowstone and uh, the Kevin Costner, you know, the big boss, he's like, he's mucking out stalls. And I was like, that's how I learned how to work. I was telling my wife I had to clean stalls. And she was like, did you hate it? And I was like, I didn't mind it that much. It wasn't that big Horse a deal. Horse shit doesn't stink. Pig shit stinks. Horse Dog shit. shit. <laughs> Dog like, shit. Yeah, I mean, in horse shit, of all the shit you got to smell, <laughs> horse shit's the tamest of the shit. 
It's not bad. It's not bad. So, but that, that experience living on a, on a farm, on a horse farm, sweeping out, sweeping out the barn. And my, my mom or dad would give me credit for if I did a good job, they would recognize that they'd be like, Hey, you did a nice job sweeping out the barn. Thanks. You know, that went a long ways. Uh, appreciation for doing a good, cause I also, I would do a shitty job sometimes too. And they'd be like, I mean, you know, I, Hey, I had to go in and re-sweep the barn after you got done. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't finished. You know, let me ask you a follow-up to that because not only did my dad tell me that when I got a job, like my first job working in a garage, when I was still in high school, the first, and I was making two bucks an hour. So I was making barely enough for gas. Right. So when I got paid the first week, he said, how much did you make? And I told him, he says, give me a quarter of it. And I looked at him. I said, what? He said, give me a quarter of it. I said, why? He said, because you're now working. And he says, when you go to work, when you're out of school, it's going to cost you at least a quarter of what you make to live. And he said, your mom's doing all your laundry. She's buying your food. She's cooking. And he goes, and on top of it, you got to buy all your school clothes now. And if you get a car, you got to pay for it. And you got to pay for your own insurance. So it wasn't just the work ethic. It was the responsibility that came with it. There was nothing ever handed to me. My niece, Heidi, she worked like three jobs through high school and bought all her own stuff. Her brother, he worked. So it's the work ethic plus the responsibility of what you do with that money once you earn it. You don't just go blow it on a $500 PlayStation. No, you buy school clothes. You buy gas. Right. If you want want to wear nice school clothes to school. Right. You know, if you want those, if you want those two hundred dollar Jordans that your buddies are wearing, Dude, <laughs> but but see, you might not you you might not want to waste money on those Jordans or those cowboy boots or cowboy hat for that matter. That that hat that I'm wearing in that picture I sent you, you know, here fun yeah. side note. Uh, I lived in Bisbee, Arizona, a little hippie town down on the border, uh, and I worked for a. Uh, I got tired of doing drywall at some point. I was like, ah, because I was driving 30 minutes. I was only making eight cents a square foot. So they were kind of screwing me. But uh, I went to work for a haberdasher for like three months making hats, making like felt hats. And (laughs) I love hats. I told you, this is the first time I've had a hat on for like 10 years. My (laughs) wife's like, just just go in, boy. Now you got your hat on. I feel bad. We went opposite. We went opposite. Normally I'm like, yeah, normally I don't have a hat. I try to kind of keep it clean or I'm wearing a Fresco Harmony shirt. So I think it's like the hat and the shirt's kind of overkill, you know, whatever. Go Big Red. <laughs> go Big I've Red. I've worn a Nebraska t-shirt every day of my life for 40 years. So there you go. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Um, so so uh, that hat you see in that photo, that that's actually a, a beaver felt, 100% beaver felt. It's but like an $800 hat. If you're not a hat person out there, cowboy hats can get pretty pretty crazy into the stratosphere if you have a good one. Um, and I've had that hat for 20 years. I, I got it because then, you know, I got it when I worked at the haberdashery. And, uh, you know, I don't ever wear it now. <laughs> just just, just when I watch just when I watch Yellowstone. <laughs> The first one I bought with my own money when I was about 17 was a 3X Beaver, and I think it cost me 300 bucks in the 70s. Yeah. 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 They're pricey. Yeah. And they'll, they'll last you forever. So, uh, Kevin Bush, Adventures in Drywall. This has been pretty good. We're, we're probably pushing the hour range a little bit. We can go a little longer, but, uh, 
I'm curious about what what else? I mean, we there's so many directions we can go. I am curious, and what I ask for everybody on the episode is uh, I asked for a pearl of wisdom. If you could bestow upon the drywall community, we've touched on it a little bit. We're in an industry now where maybe the products aren't quite as good. We have zero, we, we don't have as many younger people coming into the trade. Although I've interviewed a couple uh, 20 somethings. Those guys are great. They're really neat. Those are neat interviews. And uh, you know, they're, they are out there. But uh, we're in a different sort of industry than we were maybe in your time. Um, is there any like pearls of wisdom that you could you could say or that you could think of, you know, about about the industry? Well, when I got hurt, I had a lot of time to to look at stuff, and I spent some time online, and I, I stumbled across the Drywall Junkies website, and I really loved all the women on there. I started following Kayla Beckett Sullivan. Yeah. I was amazed at how many guys were giving her shit. And she oh, yeah. gave it right back. Yeah. And I mean, I would just, if I was still doing drywall, I'd love to do a house with her. And then I started following drywall shorty. And, you yeah. know, you got to realize back in the day, one of the guys I worked with, his wife worked with him every day. Yeah. And I realized this is going to sound sexist or whatever it is, but it's meant to be a compliment for women. Okay. Sure. Women have way more attention to detail than most men. Yeah. And she would go and spot screws, fix broken boxes, fix stuff. Stuff yeah. we'd walk by 15 times and she'd go, what's wrong with you? And she'd fix it. And she was so fastidious in her finishing and she did it for years. And so I'm, I'm watching all these women and girls that are coming in and they're sort of like taking the mantle from the guys going, we're taking pride in our work. You got a bunch of guys going, you know, dick jokes and, you know, giving people yeah. shit and they're putting some serious shit out there. And and then I see some younger guys start posting. I see some 24 year old guys all proud of their work and they're asking guys like me their opinion on stuff. And instead of helping these kids, 90% of the comments is piling on. And I'm yeah. going, here's a young kid that's trying to start out like we all did. Give him a bone, man. Give yeah. him some of your knowledge. Everything I know, I'm stupid. Everything I know, I learned from someone else, either by watching them or asking them. Yep. I didn't know how to do a California flat patch for years, and I watched a carpenter that was like 70 do one <laughs> one day, and I'm like, that's genius. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know. So I was never too proud to realize I was stupid, and I had a lot to learn. So if somebody was older than me, I'd ask them questions, because it's going to make my job easier, ultimately make me more money, so I can support my family better. Yeah. So I think be humble. If there's a young guy or young gal asking questions, take them under your wing, answer the question. Don't give them shit. And you know what? I like watching the women's stuff way more. This Kayla girl and drywall shorty, they're talented finishers. Yeah. And and good on them, man. So I yeah. think take pride in your work and don't buy into the media narrative. If you look back, remember Roseanne's show? Big fat dumpy husband. What was his job? He was a drywall guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the guy in the office space movie that lives across the hall. I know. Guy. I know. I'm doing drywall the contractor. Doing the drywall. The drywall contractor <laughs> on TV or movie. It's some idiot. I've run into some of the smartest guys I've ever known in my life on a job site. Never went to college. Quit school at 16. And those guys know some stuff. 
if you look at the average age on the job of, of most of the workforce, the guys are in their 50s. Most young kids don't want to do anything, let alone get dirty. So if you've got a 20-year-old that's willing to get dirty and he's asking questions, whether it's on a drywall forum or on a job, don't give him shit. Encourage him. Those are the next generation that are going to take over for us. Yeah. Try and support somebody. You know, I can't yeah. believe how nobody wants to work. If you find that pearl of a kid that wants to learn something, teach him. That's how Nurture. I learned. Yeah. A six-year-old old guy taught me how to pull a knife. And uh, pay him well. Too pay them you if they're showing well. if they're showing up they got their car they have a willingness to learn you got to pay for sure absolutely Kevin Bush what the hell dude how come how come it took this long for us to meet I don't know I'm living I've been doing field Montana I've been doing Fresco Harmony for 17 years man the product has been out for 11 years well it looks like you're doing a good job and it's <laughs> going to be going in my house. <laughs> when you get it done, so I'll give you my straight up. I got to you. you know, I'm yeah. a straight shooter. I'm not going to lie. So, so, so when I get big enough, too, maybe we'll throw. You could throw your hat back in the sales ring. You can come and sell colored mud for me. How fun! How fun would that be? Well, <laughs> I'm really enjoying spending a lot of time with my wife. You know, and. And I have grandiose plans of pulling our camper a couple places next year. Nice. Some stuff we haven't seen. So nice. If I ever did something, it'd have to be like one hour a month. Yeah. I hey man, I wouldn't have you running like those no coat guys. We we I'd send you you come with me to Intex, we hang out there. Maybe I'd send you up here a couple trips a year. All expenses paid. I'll send you somewhere nice. You can go like just do sales. <laughs> You gotta realize it's on the internet. It's out there forever. You said it. So if you didn't mean it, you just screwed yourself, bud. <laughs> You'd have fun selling this stuff. It's actually fun to sell. The yeah, funnest I'm really excited. I'm excited to see it go up in my house. I really the fun the funnest part about it is that when drywall dudes get to do it and they experience what I get to experience. It's like that fun of like creating a wall that looks beautiful. You're not just right. making a flat wall anymore. You're doing this like gorgeous looking wall and you're like, oh, this is cool. Like this is a lot of fun. And I'm still just using joint compound. Right. It's a no brainer, you know. Um, thank you so much for being on the Drywall Podcast today. Kevin Bush, Adventures in Drywall. We may we may do a quarterly uh, uh, base touch with Kevin Bush. Maybe we'll have like a uh, topic that, and you'll be like our you'll be our correspondent expert for the Drywall Podcast that can kind of, you know, come in. You're like the salty old timer that can come in and tell us what's going on. As long as you never use the word expert again, because I'm not an expert on anything. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the Drywall Podcast. Thanks, Nick. You and I are going to have more uh, conversations, of course. Text me anytime with questions or just call me anytime you want. Um, I love chatting. Uh, and you're just, you guys seem like great people up there. So it'd be fun to come up and hang out with you sometime. Hey, thanks. And by the way, this was the first Zoom I've ever done in my life. I told you I was a dinosaur. So write that on your calendar. Today's date in red. First Zoom ever for the rock doc, Kevin Bush. Fun fact, you are you are not the only drywaller. So kudos to all the drywall dudes and girls that have been on the drywall podcast and, yeah. never, and never done a Zoom call, but they were willing to do it. They were willing to, you know, do something new get out of their comfort zone a little bit 
because it's cool, right? We can look at each other. It's like we're sitting in the room. Right. It's, well, it's way better. A shout out. If it wasn't for my niece, Heidi, <laughs> and her assistant, Aubrey, this would have never happened. They set this computer up in a camera, and they told me exactly how to sit. So if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't even be here right now. Oh, yeah. All the problems have been on my end, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to Aubrey and Heidi for helping Kevin set up the podcast yeah. today. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thanks, man. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Special thanks to Kevin Bush for being on the Drywall Podcast today. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you guys did too. The Drywall Podcast can be listened to every Friday on your favorite podcast platforms such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also YouTube. The Drywall Podcast was brought to you today by Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. If you have questions about the podcast, Fresco Harmony, or anything, feel free to reach out to me at info at frescoharmony.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Drywall Podcast today. Tune in next Friday. We will have Myron Ferguson, who essentially wrote the book on drywall. Until then, keep drywalling. <laughs>